all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Sutton Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Well, we're going to be taking your calls during the hour concerning any healthcare issues that, or topics that you need answered or discussed. The number to call this morning to reach us is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can always email us at remedy at Online. Dot org. Hope everybody's having a great Wednesday morning. It's uh, sun is shining, and certainly we have a little bit of a break in the rain that we've had. I know a lot of places in Mississippi and surrounding areas have been hit pretty hard by the tro- tropical depression that came through. More wind gusts. I know a lot of trees are uh, already sort of saturated at their roots and coming down. Just uh, keep all that in mind when you're planning different things, and uh, hopefully you are getting out more, uh, particularly if you're vaccinated from COVID. You know, just to remind everybody, the CDC guidelines for vaccinated people, basically, you are free to travel and free to do what you uh, what you would normally have done beforehand. I know I'm enjoying that more as a vaccinated person. Uh, of course, there are certain situations that you still want to have precautions. A lot of people still have some confusion about that. Certainly healthcare situations where we have more individuals that even if they were vaccinated, their immunity could be down for certain reasons. Uh, These are hospitals, of course, doctors, clinics, uh, nursing homes, other long-term care uh, facilities, all of those places, or you'd want to be a little bit more careful than you you normally would. And really, this is no different than what we've been doing in the past. There's certainly a lot of situations where we have uh, individual patients or sometimes entire facilities that are isolated depending on what's going on. But thankfully, we still have a lot of low numbers here in Mississippi. Do want to mention again, uh, I think I mentioned this the last time we were live, that uh, we do have, we're monitoring a lot of the variants of COVID. So, you know, viruses, they love to mutate. They change over time according to the different pressures that are on them. And, um, Thankfully, our vaccinations are available in the U.S. They've all been affected against, uh, effective against these new variants. However, if you're not vaccinated, a lot of these variants are more serious if you should get COVID uh, than the, the ones that we saw about a year ago. So, you know, we still have very low immunization rates in the state overall. Um, despite having a lot of good resources and good ways to get those. So I would encourage you, you know, if you're looking to, uh, if you're waiting around for something, I would probably go ahead and and get that vaccination um, uh, as soon as you can uh, to help protect yourself and others. What we don't want to do is to have to go back into a situation 
where we're relying on social distancing and closing down certain things. And immunizations are one of the ways to do that, probably one of the more powerful ways. Waiting around gives this virus more time to mutate, particularly in those individuals who contract it. Um, the best way would be to get as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible so that it won't be transmitted. Remember, uh, as we've talked about on previous programs, the more times this vaccine travels from person to person and replicates, replicates just a fancy term for uh, reproducing itself, uh, the more chances are that it's gonna that it's gonna mutate. So just keep that in mind. And uh, if you're you know sort of still a little hesitant about vaccination, very safe, uh, particularly Pfizer and Moderna. Uh, you know, pr provide some of the best immunity out there. Johnson Johnson, good also, just one uh, jab, as the UK like to say, uh, for, for Johnson Johnson versus two for Moderna and, and Pfizer. But if you've got a, a question about anything that maybe is on your mind, maybe it's a new diagnosis, perhaps it's a new symptom or a new medication, the number to call this morning is one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We do encourage you to call in earlier in the hour. Just uh, say that because we have a little bit more time to talk about things in the first part of the hour. I always hate to cut people off just for time uh, or not allow them, uh, you know, to fully uh, ask their questions or maybe to, to fully give an answer close to the end of time. So everybody's a little bit hesitant about that usually to be that first caller. I'm giving you permission right now uh, to do that. And with that, we're going to go to our first caller who is Rachel from Eupora. Good morning, Rachel. Thank you for calling. Good morning, doctor. So uh, my question is this, with a little bit of background, uh, I have irregular heartbeat. I am taking steps to hopefully get that uh, rectified. I've got a, my monitor was sent in, uh, and my cardiologist will see it whenever it is sent to him. So my question is this, am I uh, right in being wary of getting this vaccination until I get this irregular heartbeat uh, taken care of? Yeah, Rachel, unless your cardiologist or, or your physician has told you to wait for a specific reason, there's not really any, uh, you know, any reason, underlying reason why you would wait with an irregular heartbeat. We have lots of patients that have irregular heartbeats, whether that's something like atrial fibrillation or frequent PVCs. Turns out if you got COVID, you're more at risk to have complications from the virus than complications from, uh, you know, from the vaccine. So uh -huh. just from what, just from what you've told me, I, I would say it's a, it's, it, there's no reason why you should not get it. Um, you, again, most of the side effects have been very mild. I've, I've been asking all my patients, you know, have you been vaccinated? If so, did you have any side effects? It's about 50-50, about 50 in, the, in my, um, you know, in my experience, about 50% of them have said they had side effects. If they did have side effects, it's been very mild. Usually it was, you know, sort of feeling like you had the flu, maybe a little bit of a headache. And almost without exception, those have gone away in about 24 hours or less. So uh, I would think it was probably safe to do that and probably beneficial 
uh, you know, regardless of the heart um, of the heart uh, problems that you're having right now. Um, But it sounds like, you know, if you have further, you know, hesitations about that, I would just ask your physicians who are are looking after you. Uh Okay. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Rachel. Hope you get that uh, sorted out on arrhythmias. Arrhythmias are just fast or slow or, or irregular uh, heart rates, um, and they can be very common and caused by lots of different things. You know, our heart, our heart rate, our pulse rate stay, doesn't stay the same all the time. It goes up and down depending on what we're doing, and sometimes as we uh, get older or even in younger individuals, you can have problems with that. So uh, lots of different reasons. Thankfully, we've got a lot of less invasive ways to help diagnose that. Um, I'm not sure exactly what type of monitoring Rachel was getting, but uh, something called a ZIO patch, Z-I-O, that uh, a physician can order that basically takes continuous readings of an EKG. It's a very, very small device. and It's just sort of taped to the skin, but it has very accurate information that it can uh, then transmit back to a cardiologist for them to look at it and see if any of those arrhythmias or irregularities are there or if they're, um, you know, if it's more serious and need to do something about. This is Southern Remedy. You can reach us this morning by calling one eight seven seven. 877 mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. It's amazing after saying that number for so many years that I can still get... Uh, caught every once in a while let's go to our next caller sue from beaumont good morning sue how are you this morning good morning i'd like to ask you a question about gastric sleeve surgery i know four people that had that surgery and like three of them gained their weight back and i've heard that this this surgery the gastric sleeve is like on the way out or they stopped doing it is that true um there i don't know exactly the um details of that sue with the with that type of surgery but i do know that one of the you know one of the benefits of doing that one as opposed to some of the old you know the older ones basically you took out part of the stomach or you diverted food around the stomach um it was a big surgery took a long time to get over and there's a lot of complications um there were a lot of complications long term so um yeah, it's it's uh, it's certainly something that uh, a lot of people are looking into to have less invasive means of doing that surgery. Now, the one other thing about gastric sleeve is it can be reversed, so that is useful, particularly in individuals, say women who want to get pregnant later on, um, or if there's you know potential complications. Um, but it typically it's pretty well tolerated and the recovery time is very low. Now you're right. You can regain a lot of weight on that and it's very, uh, you can sort of overcome all of the things that have been done surgically by just eating more. Uh, you do have to, there's an extensive counseling that is involved before you have that surgery. Uh, the surgeons are really talk to you about, you know, this is a huge lifestyle change in how you eat and the amounts of foods that you're going to eat as long as you have that procedure. Uh, so I don't know exactly if that that has been recalled. I'm I haven't you know I'm not as up on surgical things um, as a, as opposed to medical uh, non-surgical. 
I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Got some good questions so far in the hour. This is your chance to ask any type of healthcare question. Maybe it's a new symptom or new medication. Maybe it's just a question about something in general. doesn't have to be about anything that we've previously talked about in the hour. You can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. If you're not able to ask a question during the hour, you can always email us. We do uh, try to get back to you as soon as we can, and we uh, try to share those if you give us permission with the rest of our listening audience uh, because they are really good questions. And sometimes you can say a lot more in an email, uh, more thorough than you can on the air. You can send those to us at remedy at mpbonline.org. And if you want to catch our previous programs, check out the archive of those on mpbonline.org. Just search for Southern Remedy. Uh, It takes about 24 hours for those to pop up there, and uh, you can go back and listen to things. I know people aren't, uh, sometimes if you're like me, you come in on on conversations a little bit late, and and in particular that you hear on the radio. So it's a nice way to go back and uh, listen to those. All right, we got two people that have been patiently waiting from Hattiesburg. Let's go to Fran. Good morning, Fran. What's your question this morning? Good morning, doctor. Uh, My question is, I do not tolerate statins very well, and my cardiologist has been very patient in trying to work with me on those. I finally just gave up and got on the red rice yeast. Can you give me some feedback on that? Yeah, sure can. So statins, those are drugs um, like Crestor and Lipitor, uh, there are about five or six of them that are out there. Uh, some of them are a little bit better than others. Now, when we talk about cholesterol medications, it's important to keep in mind that what we're really trying to do is prevent heart attack or stroke. So we do want to get the cholesterol down, but we found that it's even more important that the, the overall risk of getting a, a heart attack or stroke, if it's high enough, then the cholesterol medication itself is protective against getting that. And part of that is the cholesterol going down, but part of it isn't. And we know that because the Lipitor and Crestor medications have the best data and outcomes of decreasing the risk of stroke and heart attack, particularly in individuals that have very high risk. If you already have a lot of other risk factors like hypertension or uh, diabetes or chronic kidney disease, you're at a very high risk of having a heart attack or a stroke. So 
those are the individuals in particular that can benefit from that. Unfortunately, like Fran, we have some, some uh, individuals that uh, have a lot of side effects with those. They're pretty well tolerated in most people, but some people do have pretty severe muscle aches. We call those myalgias, and sometimes they have some fatigue with that. A lot of times you can switch from one to the other because there are enough differences between these medications that you can decrease the side effects. However, uh, if you've done that, then you really, you know, a lot of times you'll switch to a different class. Now, there are some other medications that can, uh, you know, help to decrease uh, cholesterol, particularly the LDL cholesterol, which is the bad actor there. I've, I've helped people to remember that uh, uh, by, by thinking of L for lousy. So that's the lousy cholesterol. Um, the lower it is, the better. So there are things like niacin and fibrates and, um, and uh, zetia is another one. Uh, but red rice yeast has been looked at, and certainly it can decrease your LDL cholesterol, that bad cholesterol, uh, and in, in theory, can help out. What we don't have is that good outcomes data to say, okay, well, if it gets cholesterol down, is it really decreasing the risk of heart attack and stroke? We know that it doesn't really increase the risk, um, but if you're, you know, it's not going to hurt you from, from taking it. Uh, there's really, it is really well tolerated. I have a lot of patients who take it, and uh, I, I tell them uh, the same thing I'm, I'm about to tell you is, you know, if it's if you're not able to take those other medications, you've tried them, and you know it's just uh, horrendous as far as your your experience of side effects. Then uh, go ahead and do the red rice yeast. It may not be the same protection, but it's going to give you at least a lowering of that cholesterol. So in theory, uh, it, it's probably going to re reduce your risk. Don't forget about those other risks, though. So if your blood pressure is high, that's something else you can work on your activity level, losing weight, uh, changing your diet, all those things together are just as important uh, as the cholesterol in lowering your risk of heart attack or stroke. So I'd say keep taking it, uh, see what it does for the cholesterol, and uh, if it goes down, that's great. Do those, some of those other things if you're not already, and uh, sometimes you just got to do the best you can to reduce your risk. Thank you all so right, much, Doctor. Oh, you're welcome, friend, and you take care. Going to stay in Hattiesburg. I believe we have Bob on the line. Good morning, Bob. Thank you for calling. What's your question this morning? Good morning, uh, Dr. Stewart. I appreciate you taking my call. Um, I have a colleague who's uh, rather fair-skinned, and she recently went to a, a skin doctor because she had uh, basically nothing significant in terms of cancers, but he said he was precancerous cells. Now, again, uh, she's kind of fair-skinned, and the doctor recommended, the dermatologist recommended that she do this procedure where, and I think you know more about this, where they literally uh, treat her with uh, basically, in simple words, burn it or, or, or just basically ultraviolet light. But I, I guess the question I have is that how serious can this precancerous cells turn into cancer and she's kind of leaning towards not getting this procedure done but you know we certainly don't want her this this precancer cells turn into cancer i was maybe wondering if you can tell us in terms of uh what is the likelihood that that these precancer cells turn into cancer and would you recommend her getting this procedure done thank you for taking my yeah. call sure 
Thanks, Bob. That's a, a real common question. You know, fair-skinned individuals are at a little bit higher risk of having sun damage just from a lack of pigment in their skin. Um, if you are darker skinned or if you are, you know, if you're African-American or Hispanic, that doesn't mean that you're totally protected. You can still get skin cancer, but um, there are very common things from a cumulative risk of ultraviolet radiation we get from the sun. And the most common precancerous things that you see on the skin are things like, an, uh, one of them is called an actinic keratosis or a seborrheic keratosis. So the actinic keratosis is sort of a scaly, you can sometimes feel them, uh, a collection of scales, and it just doesn't go away. Like it sort of just sort of flakes off. Uh, it can be raised up. Um, older individuals, if you're over the age of 60 and you've been out in the sun most of your life, you're going to have at least some of these. Um, and then the other thing is seborrheic keratosis or these raised waxy pigmented lesions. So they tend to be sort of brownish or blackish in color. Now, it takes a, uh, you know, somebody who's trained to look at those and make sure that those are, are just the precancerous things. Now, the, most of the things that can transform over time transform into squamous cell carcinoma. So that is a, a type of skin cancer. It's not the only one, uh, but it tends to be slow growing. Uh, it can have these precancerous lesions that I mentioned. There are some others out there too, so it may not, don't hang your head on those two. That's just some of the more common ones. Um, and, you know, the, the thing to do is sort of the same thing we do, for instance, with colonoscopies. You can have precancerous polyps in your colon and when you have your colonoscopy, they just snip those out, uh, and um, they don't turn into more serious lesions. They do the same thing with the skin. You mentioned a couple of different ways to do that. One of the most common is just freezing them. Now, if you have a lot of them over a large area, the creams that uh, use 5-fluorouracil, which is basically it sort of has a chemical peel that, that peels that off, um, that, that can be used if it's a large area, if you don't want to just freeze a lot of them off. That's pretty effective in uh, keeping these in check from transformation. If she wants to delay that, though, and she's got some concerns about it, you probably want to follow up a little bit closer with the dermatologist. So going every three to six months, in, for instance, instead of every year uh, might, be, might be a better um, thing to do. Now, certainly you can prevent... Uh, further damage or at least lessen further damage with sunscreens and uh, or limiting sun exposure. Uh, they got some great cool clothing you can wear in the summertime. Now I've got some myself because I, I do not tan very well at all. Uh, but um, those things can, you know, help prevent some of that damage. But, you know, the dermatologists are the experts and just, you know, by looking at it sometimes with a biopsy, they should be able to tell you what the risk is. I'd encourage her to call back and say, hey, what is this lesion? What's the risk? And what type of cancer are you talking about? Now, certainly we're not talking about melanoma um, or basal cell carcinomas. Those are a, a lot more aggressive can skin cancers, and you don't want to fool around with those. Um, they, can, uh, they tend to be, you know, basal cell tends to be on the face, eyelid, raised areas that have the most skin exposure to the sun. Uh, and then melanomas can actually occur anywhere, even in areas that aren't uh, exposed to the sun. So uh, those are two different types of cancers, though. But uh, I, there's lots of options, though. When you're talking about precancerous lesions, uh, 
from skin cancer, there's a lot of different ways that they can handle that. So if, even if they say, hey, we're gonna, we would like to take it off with option A, ask about those other options and then ask about the side effects. Biggest side effects with either freezing it off or with the chemical removal of them with the cream over time is uh, irritation to the skin. And, uh, they, you know, you can leave a sort of a raw area after they come off that'll heal up. But uh, that would be my recommendations to you is just to get more information on what type of precancerous mm. lesion that is and then, you know, what mm. some of the options are. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Bob. We appreciate your call. Uh, we're going to go to, uh-oh, who is that? Linda. I think Linda from Mobile. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. Thank you for calling. What's your question this morning? Thank, thank you for your help. I enjoy the show. This is about my dog. Now, she was diagnosed with diabetes two Saturdays ago, and she's wearing the Freestyle Libra 14-day, which is just like for a human, so we can check her diet, her glucose, and it has stayed either in the high range, which is over 500, or the high 400 since this was diagnosed. Now, we've increased her insulin from the very beginning five units a day. We are now at six units twice a day, but her it doesn't seem to affect her blood sugar levels at all. It doesn't. They're always in the high 400s. After a shot midday, we check it like hourly. The vet has been very diligent with this, and he thought maybe she might have a bladder or kidney infection. So we're giving her an antibiotic, pretty strong one, he says, that seems, again, her blood sugar is still very high, and it's just it's driving us crazy. We don't know if you might have some suggestions where else to look. Um, my vet has been very good. I'm not complaining about him. I'm just kind of like beating my head against the wall with this dog. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, Linda, I, so I'm, I'm not a veterinarian. So there are, although there's lots of similarities between some of the, uh, diseases and illnesses that animals can get in humans, I would not presume to, uh, make any kind of recommendations on, uh, on, on your dog. Now I can I can tell you you know in humans there's lots of different uh, there's different types of diabetes two different types of diabetes main types uh, one is very you know sensitive to the amount of insulin that you get one is not so it's just insulin resistance and there are lots of other conditions that can play into that so again I can tell you about humans uh, you know if somebody were not controlled. Um, uh, even in, in the face of, of higher doses of insulin, then we would look for infection. We would look for other hormonal uh, reasons like low thyroid. I uh, would even look at how the, you know, the insulin is being given. Sometimes you think you're doing it correctly, but it may be incorrectly on giving it. So I would, I would ask your vet for a second opinion uh, on that, same way I would if it were a human. Uh, and actually you may want to call in to creature conference. So, uh, that's, a, another, uh, MPB program, Kevin, I'm blanking on when uh, creature comforts, uh, airs. Um, but that would be an excellent question for them. Uh, they have, uh, you know, uh, uh some experts and veterinarians That's Thursdays 
so tomorrow at 9 a.m., that is an excellent question to call in on on creature comforts uh, if you can. And they, they're probably going to answer your question a lot better than I could uh, with specifics towards your dog. They are okay. like our, they are our family. I get that. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, but I have zero training in how to treat animals and uh, lots more training in how to treat people. So call <laughs> okay. in tomorrow morning at 9 to cry, Creature Comforts on MPB uh, Think okay. Radio, and uh, I bet they'll be able to, uh, to answer your question. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your questions and uh, listening to some comments, too, about any kind of medical problems that you might have. It may be uh, something that you've been uh, just can't quite get your your brain around or maybe it was something that you got diagnosed with you just didn't understand what the doctor was saying sometimes we are guilty of that we rush in and rush out till we've got lots of people to see and sometimes we don't quite get the message across like we wanted to communicate it so this is your chance to get a little bit more information Uh, if we can't get you the information to answer your question we'll certainly try to point you in the right direction the number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Elliot from Hattiesburg. Morning, Elliot. Morning. Thanks for having me on and everything. I, I sure. just wanted to p- piggyback onto what you were saying earlier as far as the statin drugs. You know, yeah. it's been several years now that I've been taking uh, some kind of statin for my cholesterol. I, I switched between several of them. Uh, Simvastatin, Atorvastatin, Rosuvastatin, and, uh, you know, with each of them, of course, I, I had these uh, side effects, like you said, the, uh, did you say uh, myalgias, the, right, right, the muscle, muscle aches, soreness so. and uh, joint soreness, and it's funny, each one seemed to center in different parts, but I tell you what, the cure for it, at least for me, and what my doctor suggested was CoQ10. And yep. uh, so, so I, uh, you know, I'll take that along every night. I'll take uh, between 200 and maybe 400 milligrams of CoQ10. And it, it's, it's even the generic stuff, like from Target. <clears throat> and, um, look, it wiped all that out. I haven't had any of the side effects for years. So, um, yep. again, for those who suffer from that, you know, again, that's just a suggestion. CoQ10, it really... I almost wish it should be, uh, it almost should be prescribed along with it, with the statin, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I'm glad me. you brought that up because that is, um, that is something that's pretty successful. I should have mentioned that earlier. Um, it's, and it's been around a long time. As you mentioned, it's, it's over the counter. Um, it's easy to get. And for a lot of people, those symptoms go away with taking it. There's some other ways that you can get around some of the symptoms. Uh, some patients, 
Um, of course, but all the statins work better at night. Um, yeah. So taking them at night, just because of that's when you make a lot, a lot of cholesterol. So taking them a little bit later is, is the thing to do. But even like uh, alternating when you take them. So you can take them one day, not take it the next, and then take it the next day. Or sometimes decrease in the dose. But you're right, co coenzyme Q10, they don't really understand the, the complete mechanism for that. But it, it does help a lot of people um, yeah. to uh, continue to take them and, and reap the benefits without the side effects. So uh, that's yeah. an excellent suggestion. Thanks. You know, um, the thing was, I was running out of medications to take. I mean, we'd switch and switch, and, you know, it was just hard to – it just, uh, again, CoQ10 uh, allowed me to tolerate the medications I was taking. So I appreciate yeah. it, too. Just wanted to add that. Sure. Sure. Yeah, no, that's a that's an excellent uh, comment, and uh, can uh, if you do have yeah. problems, uh, you might want to try that out. I'm not aware of any kind of uh, interaction from coenzyme Q10 either with any other medication, so it's fairly safe to take. Uh, and again, you can find that just about in any pharmacy. So they must be having a medical convention down in Hattiesburg because we've had three great calls sprint down there. I don't know if y'all are having like a party and uh, passing around the phone to different people. But uh, keep them coming. We like those calls. So this is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Got a lot of Coxsackie virus going around. You may not be familiar with that term, but you're probably familiar with hand, foot, and mouth disease. This is not a disease of... Uh, cattle. We have some, uh, I think we're branching over into veterinary medicine this morning, but um, uh, hand, foot, and mouth is, is a very common summer and uh, fall illness that affects mostly children. It can affect adult, adults too, but it is caused by uh, a number of Coxsackie viruses. So there's about 20 of them out there that uh, different subtypes Sort of similar to, uh, you know, the subtypes that we see with COVID. Everybody thinks, well, is it just one virus? No, there's a lot of different subtypes of things. So with Coxsackie, basically it affects uh, the uh, mucosa. That's the, the lining of your, uh, in, uh, of your mouth and your throat, uh, including your tongue. And uh, it can cause, basically it presents, particularly in children with a fever, usually between about 102 to 104, um, and uh, it causes some uh, painful uh, lesions or painful sores in your mouth. And it's also accompanied by painless uh, rash, and that rash can be on the palms of your hands and the soles of your feet uh, or really any other part of the body. But that's why they call it hand, foot, and mouth because that's where you see the lesions. And it's fairly characteristic when you see them. Uh, again, the biggest concern with this, there's really not anything you can do to prevent it. Well, there's a lot of stuff you can do to prevent it because it's uh, mainly uh, transmitted through the fecal-oral route. So secretions from somebody, uh, spit, saliva, um, uh, if that is passed back and forth to another person, they can certainly get it. Um, if you are an adult and get it, you can have a little bit more serious side effects with it. The broader um, group of viruses that Coxsackie is a part of is called the enteroviruses, and they are very common, cause a lot of upper respiratory symptoms, a lot of sort of the summer colds. Uh, they can also cause diarrhea as well. Some people with Coxsackie may get a little bit of diarrhea uh, with this, but uh, you can cut down on that by trying to stay clean, of course, with kids. 
they're going to share a lot of things. So, uh, you know, you can try to do that, but daycares, uh, particularly with kids going back to daycare, you see that a lot. So we're seeing a lot of that right now. Again, there's not much you can do besides treat the symptoms of it. So making sure that you give them, if there is a fever, you can give them some Tylenol. That also helps with some of the pain that they have. As long as they're able to drink, um, you know, fluids or eat, that's fine. Most of the time, you don't want to eat a whole lot of stuff that's either spicy or is going to be sort of scratchy in your in your mouth on the on the mucosal lining there. But it usually goes away in five to seven days. So that can be a long five to seven days, particularly with uh, with younger kids. But that's what's uh, that's very common, uh, particularly this time of year. We're seeing sort of a, a usual pattern of that um, with a lot of kids coming in with that right now. So. You learn something new, hand, foot, and mouth, Coxsackie virus. So when somebody says that, you can use that fancy doctor Latin term for that virus, and they'll look at you like uh, like you're crazy like they do me. All right, we're going to go to uh, Dale in Grenada. Good morning, Dale. Uh, hello. Can you understand me clearly? Yes, loud and clear. What's your question this morning? Uh, well, I, I, I love bacon and sausage. I used to cook and eat it, but I'm 69, and uh, now it causes diarrhea. Same with uh, fruit juices, apple juice, orange juice. Uh, they all cause diarrhea. Would you have any idea what? Yeah, I, I might. Um, so let me take a stab at that. Now, you know, most of the time when somebody comes to me with these symptoms, they've sort of they've they've almost diagnosed part of the reason why with the types of foods they eat. So it sounds like you've made that association, which would be the first thing I would advise somebody is to try to figure out if there are certain foods that, it, that it are causing the symptoms. So with the sausage and bacon, uh, two of the things that, you know, that that's pretty high in fat for both of those. That's why they taste so good. Um, but if your body's not able to break down those fats, it, those fats stay in the stool instead of being absorbed, and that causes you to have diarrhea. So it causes things to sort of move through uh, faster, and you have excess fat in there. Uh, so there may be changes over time that have happened with your gut and its functioning that it's not secreting some of those enzymes that it needs to break down that fat. And there's two ways you can deal with that. You can cut back on what you're eating, probably the easiest thing to do. But if you really love bacon and sausage, uh, there are some expensive ways to, uh, to deal with it. There are some people that have, uh, particularly who've had damage to their pancreas uh, for whatever reason in the past, that can develop an insufficiency of an enzyme called lipase, uh, which helps to break down fats. And... The, there are some artificial uh, enzymes that you can take uh, in the form of a capsule. They are very expensive, um, and you do have to take them pretty much with every meal to decrease the symptoms. So most people just say, you know what, I'm going to try to just cut back on that. Now, the fruit juices, on the other hand, may be a little bit different. So, uh, you know, diarrhea can be caused by different things. It can be a secretory diarrhea that you're secreting different stuff to make the water content in your stool more uh, it can be a toxic effect of different things like, uh, you know, if you have food poisoning. Or it could be that you're um, keeping a lot more water in your gut. And certainly sugars do that. So 
even the natural sugars in fruit juices. So a lot of people, if they drink particularly a lot of them, it'll cause a lot of fluid to stay in your stool, and that just passes right on out. Um, that's one of the reasons why prune juice or prunes can help with constipation because they have an increased sugar content and they keep uh, water in the, in the stool longer so that it, uh, you don't have as much constipation. So a lot of constipation is that you either have a slower transit of fecal materials through the intestine, particularly the large intestine, or you're absorbing a lot more water because the longer the stool stays in there, the more water your large intestine reabsorbs. So um, it, you may need to see if it's both of those things. I probably would get a gastroenterologist who are the experts on this, particularly somebody who deals with, um, with uh, disorders like this. So you can say, hey, I'm having some chronic diarrhea. Uh, it seems to be associated with certain foods. And again, you can lose the ability over time, and it could be something else going on with your small intestine uh, that's causing you not to absorb fats and sugars. Uh, so this may be a symptom of something that's underlying. Now, there's lots of tests that they can do. Some of them are blood tests. Depending on what they, you know, what they find and what they hear, sometimes they'll recommend doing a, um, a, an EGD. That's a scope from above or a scope from below. Uh, and sometimes a biopsy of that, a small little piece of, of the intestine uh, to test out would be the thing to do. Um, but, it, you know, it sounds like you got two different mechanisms that are being hit. The mechanisms that help to break down sugars and absorb them appropriately and the mechanisms that help to do the same thing with fats. So a gastroenterologist, if you haven't seen them, it would probably be the next step. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your questions and uh, fielding calls. Uh, I do want to encourage you, if you don't get a chance to call in this morning, you can always uh, rejoin us next Wednesday on Southern Remedy at the same time at 11 o'clock, or you can email us. The email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Liz from Moselle. Good morning, Liz. Good morning, Dr. Jimmy. Thanks for uh, taking the call. 
um, I have, I've, I've got all sorts of stuff wrong with my lower back, the worst of which is stenosis. And I finally broke down and went to the pain doctor for the first time a couple weeks ago, and he gave me a steroid shot in the back. And most of my pain is on the left side, and so he said that he was going to, you know, put the injection where it would do the most good. Well, the the canal on the left side was so so narrowed that he was not able to place the catheter in there, so he had to give it to me somewhere else. And at that point, he told me that <laughs> it, this would eventually cause me to lose control of my bowels and bladder, and when that happened, I was immediately to call, call the neurosurgeon. And I don't think he would have said that if he didn't think it would happen sooner rather than later. Anyway, I, 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 I've Googled around, but I don't understand if that canal is so narrow that he couldn't get a catheter in, how are they able to open it up with the surgery? Yeah. Yeah, so um, so it's a it, so there's there's you know spinal stenosis is basically you've got your spinal cord or a branch of it coming off and that nerve is being pushed on or encased all around in bone growth, okay? And usually that's from osteoarthritis over time or what we call osteophytes, which are just little outgrowths of the bone itself. So what they do is they basically take part of that bone off. So they unroof it to relieve that pressure on the nerve. So it's not something that you have to get to the inside to do that. They do it from the outside. So if you oh, think about God. Yeah, yeah. So and they can show you that when you you don't have to wait until you get those symptoms to go to a neurosurgeon. They no, can even... I, I was I, I've got my second shot coming up uh, in a week, a yeah. week from today, and I was going yeah. to ask him. Listen, you know, if if it's that bad, I need to do something soon. Oh, because that no, think, would be terrible. Yeah, I think you've got some time. They just wanted to. A lot of times we'll say, hey, hey, these are the warning signs that if you get this, you need to do something about it quick. But that doesn't uh -huh. necessarily mean you'll have it in a month or so. I've, I've known people that, you know, it sounds like are about where you are. They've been that way for a couple of years. So, um, but ask them when you go back, the pain specialist, to show you some pictures or a model. I bet they've got a model hanging around somewhere that, that of spinal stenosis that's similar to what you have. And it always helps patients to see that. So you can see exactly what's going on. Ask them to show you that, and they can show out with their their models they got laying around on their desk. Uh, oh, but that's, that's wonderful. Yeah, ask ask them to do that. I think that'll that'll help you to sort of understand what's going on with it. Okay, I like to know what's going on. You know, I'm I just, <laughs> absolutely. I bet you, when 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 somebody comes out here to fix something, I always like to watch them so I can get it. <laughs> that's right. So, thanks so much. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy.
I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart devices podcasting platform.